It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN as uh, we prepare you for the next couple hours. We'll take a look at lots of stuff going on around us and uh, busy as we start to feel a little bit like summer, which is good. Jason Jorgensen in here with me along with Bob Brogan. And uh, boy, I tell you, it is, uh, it's good to be feeling warm again, and it makes you think of uh, college baseball. A little bit, Jason. CWS got going last night, and uh, this, the finals, I should say, of the CWS. And, uh, you know, it's good to do that. How about Michigan? I know. It's just, you know, one of the better stories uh, in all of college sport this year, I would say. I mean, a team that almost didn't make the NCAA tournament. The last team to beat them in a series was Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said right there. Uh, they're undefeated at the CWS to this point. Now, they haven't won it yet. And Vanderbilt certainly has the ability to bounce back here and win a couple of games. But still, this this is a run. It this, really this is. This is a run. And Vandy's kind of a blue blood, you know, when it comes to, especially when you look at uh, the non-Southern, and you mentioned this yesterday in your sportscast, the non-Southern SEC, ACC team uh, doing so well is really unheard of, especially a Big Ten team. You had five SEC teams make the CWS, and here the lone one from the Big Ten right at the doorstep of potentially winning this thing. Just It's crazy. It's the stuff that movies are made of. We could, if they win this thing, they might, you know, 20 years from now, make a glory road, you know, movie like they did. But uh, it's it's a great story, that's for sure. It really is. And they've done a nice job with that. And and, uh, I I saw some folks talking about it on social media. And uh, there was just the Michigan contingent, lots of of folks there watching CWS that were just excited to be rooting for Michigan. Now, normally I'd rather have a finger broken than cheer for Michigan, but in this case, it's different. (laughs) It really is. It's different. It is. So, anyway, what else you got for us? Uh, Nebraska fans can mark Thursday, August 1st on their calendars, the date to meet their favorite Huskers for Football Fan Day. Now, they have changed things up a little bit, and I'm okay with this. They want this to be more a kid event. You need to be part of the Nebraska JV group in order to have your kids get an autograph with Scott Frost. Sounds like everybody else, you know, kind of work like it will, but Scott's a popular dude, and let's face it, autographs should be for the kids, not other grown men getting in line to get these autographs and then turn around and sell. I agree. I agree. All right. That'll be cool. I'll you, get off my soapbox. Thank you. By the way, should we just real quickly? You got ten seconds. Should we make more netting in uh, Major League Baseball? I, oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. I agree with you. Ryan Lefevre, the voice of the Royals, he's been on that bandwagon for a long time. It wouldn't be that hard to. All right, Bob Brogan's here. He works without a net all the time. <laughs> What's going on for you today, Bob? Stocks are a little bit lower on Wall Street with technology and communication stocks leading the declines. Healthcare company Avvi says it's going to pay $63 billion for Botox maker Allergan. And uh, I don't think they're going to get much money out of me for Botox, but um, you never know. Not anymore. And SpaceX has launched its heaviest rocket with 24 research satellites. Jason will like this. The Falcon Heavy blasted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So... There you go. Hats off. None of Jason's Falcons are very heavy, though. So. Uh, no, or have that much power. <laughs> all right. That's all coming up on Midday. 
Over the past 18 years, KRVN, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. We're also honoring our Nebraska Strong this summer, so follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts all summer long, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. This beauty has running boards and tinted windows. Being Nebraska Strong, we would like to encourage you to continue with relief efforts to our friends, neighbors, and family across the state by making donations through the Nebraska Cattlemen. Helping us bring the ram to your town is CHS, creating connections to empower agriculture. SureTop Angus and Charlay, Farnham, and Nutrien Ag Solutions. Head over to the Fun and Games page at krvn.com to find out when the ram will be in your area. Register and you could be bringing it home. Well, time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And I'm joined by Paul Perkins on a, another nice day. And uh, certainly we said yesterday that uh, this was kind of summery-like for the next few days. It definitely felt that way yesterday. Exactly. Uh, not the humidity yesterday, but that will be coming at the end of the week, it sounds like. But a definite warm-up on the way, especially Thursday into the weekend. For the time being, we're gradually warming up. And we could see some severe weather for today, especially over southeast Nebraska and central and eastern Kansas. A little bit of shower and thunderstorm activity still slowly moving through central portions of Kansas. A few hours ago, when I was on the air at about 9 o'clock, this thunderstorm cell was in the Ness, uh, can- uh, Ness County, Kansas area. Now it's just to about the Great Bend area. Still some light rain associated with that from about Ellsworth to Great Bend. That area of shower and thunderstorm activity starting to dwindle down. But... Right along in southeast of a front over southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas, that potential for some severe weather. Most of that in, in for Nebraska, you said, is going to be south of I-80, right kind of in that uh, that corner. There. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Lincoln to Minden, basically that greatest severe threat on into central and eastern areas of Kansas. A lot of us with temperatures right now behind this front in the low and mid-70s, but closer to that front on into northern Kansas, temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s, basically from southeast Nebraska on into northern Kansas. Those temperatures in the upper 70s to the low 80s. Some cooler temperatures in the mid and upper 60s as you head towards the Nebraska Panhandle. And most of us with lots of sunshine, just the cloud cover associated with those rain showers over central Kansas towards about Great Bend to the Salina area and also points to the south. Temperatures today mainly seasonal with some sunshine on the way. Late day and nighttime thunderstorms will be possible near that front that's expected to stall out from southeast Nebraska to along the Kansas border. Some of these storms could be severe, especially along and southeast of a line from Lincoln to Minden. That's where the Storm Prediction Center does have a slight to enhanced risk of severe weather, much of it in an enhanced risk of severe weather, especially over southeast Nebraska into central and east Kansas. That's uh, enhanced risk of severe weather. We also could see the leftovers of some thunderstorms move in from the high plains later on tonight. Scattered thunderstorms once again possible with a weak disturbance for tomorrow night. Otherwise, that summertime heat and mainly dry weather will stay, start to take hold for Thursday through the weekend with this building ridge of high pressure. A good taste of summer-like weather on the way. It's not going to last too long, though. Another chance of thunderstorms and some slightly cooler temperatures will arrive by Sunday night into Monday when that high-pressure ridge begins to flatten. In the long-term forecast, the Nebraska and Kansas temperatures forecast to be warmer than normal for early next week. Temperatures will trend closer to seasonal by the middle of the next week, right about the 4th of July through July 8th. 
For reference, the Central Nebraska daytime highs for early July, usually in the mid to upper 80s with average lows in the low 60s. Near normal to above normal rainfall is predicted for Sunday through July 8th in both Nebraska and Kansas. Weather factors affecting market decisions include the forecast for warmer temperatures in the Midwest and much needed drier weather for the wheat harvest in Southern Plains. The next few days, rain coverage a little less organized. The Midwest warmer and drier in the next week to 10 days, which will benefit crop development. Row crops are starting out with the lowest rating since the hot and dry year of 2012. Just the opposite, though, of course, with all the rainy conditions. The rain-delayed crop season also means corn pollination and soybean flowering are not likely to begin until late next month. Soybean planting currently is 85% complete across the U.S., at least a quarter of the intended acreage not seeded in Ohio, Missouri, Michigan, and Indiana. Warmer and drier conditions also needed for in the Midwest right now for winter wheat harvest progress. The Southern Plains wheat harvest is delayed several weeks by moderate to heavy rain. It will be much warmer and drier through the next week in the Southern Plains, which will be very favorable for improving that wheat harvest progress. In the Northern Plains and Canadian prairies, rain and more seasonal temperatures will remain in the forecast this week due to a different storm track increasing those chances for rain. Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm excited to see how much with this warm, dry weather, this hot, dry weather, the corn and stuff is just going to pop now. It's exactly. really going to grow. Exactly. You know, fields that were already planted before, a lot of these rains, or maybe they were planted at the right time, mm-hmm. they're really starting to take off. And um, probably a lot of fields actually could be in good shape for that knee-high by the 4th. They might. <laughs> and maybe if you sit out in the field, you can hear the yeah. corn grow. I was talking with some people last week, and you're going, you know what? You're going to be out, and you can hear that corn growing, especially when, when you go out at night. Okay. All right. Well, that's something we can do. That, that's part of <laughs> a, that uh, agro-tourism thing that we got going here. All right. Listen to the corn grow. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. Coming up next, Alex Wojcicki's in here. She talked to Nebraska Soybean Board Executive Director Nate Bloom, who was part of a recent Nebraska Ag Trade delegation to Washington, D.C. That's coming up in 60. The Nebraska Department of Agriculture recently hosted an ag trade delegation in Washington, D.C. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. Nate Bloom is the executive director of the Nebraska Sorghum Board, and during his time in D.C., he joined me over the phone to first give us an overview of the trip. We've actually been in Washington all week uh, with the Nebraska Department of Ag's delegation, uh, led by uh, Director Steve Wellman and his team. Um, We've had a number of meetings uh, with both our industry and international partners, our trade partners, um, embassy staff, uh, the U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Dowd, White House staff, and of course the Nebraska uh, Congressional Delegation. It's been a fantastic week, and I, I feel very effective meetings. Bloom said that while he was representing Nebraska sorghum, opportunities for a number of Nebraska's commodities were discussed. We know the value of sorghum and the opportunities to develop uh, value-added markets, um, but this has been... Uh, I want to say a cross-commodity uh, effort in that uh, we have uh, corn and uh, soybeans and cattle and pork and uh, the Farm Bureau all uh, represented in this delegation. There are 17 of us. Um, so we've talked opportunities for sorghum, but also our opportunities for other crops. And the reality is we need more diversification in cropping systems and farms across Nebraska. So in sorghum, we don't say don't plant 
corn and soybeans or wheat, for example. We say plant those, but also consider sorghum for your operation. And here's how that could look uh, as far as increasing revenues in specialized markets. Bloom also said the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement was a highly discussed topic during his visit to D.C. Mexico and Canada are Nebraska's largest trade partners, um, by and large. And uh, the USMCA uh, leaves a lot of uh, a lot of those trade partnerships intact. What it does is it modernizes a lot of labor practices. Um, and frankly, when NAFTA was written, uh, digital trade uh, didn't exist. Uh, so it modernizes the trade between our countries. As far as uh, our ag trade to Canada, uh, it's very, very much more favorable to American producers than we had experienced in the past. So uh, there's a lot to like for ag in that, in that legislation, or rather in that trade deal, and we'd like to see that get passed. And in addition to the USMCA, trade with China was also an important topic. China, just last year, year before, bought uh, something like 84% of all the sorghum that was exported from the United States. We know there's uh, incredible amounts of uh, opportunities for value-added markets in China. So we're a big part of the Chinese. The Chinese market, rather, is a big part for us. Uh, interestingly enough, they are still buying sorghum. We recently sold about 13 million bushels uh, to, China, to entities within China. So China is an important trading partner for us. But the thing to remember is that they're not the only trading partner. Uh, Nebraska sorghum will be in uh, Vietnam, for example, uh, this fall with the governor's uh, led trade mission, um, where we look for advantages in aquaculture and poultry feed, and certainly other markets across the world as well. So what we're hearing, and one of the things we, we did here in D.C. was we, we did meet with Ambassador Dowd at the at USTR, and um, he kind of walked us through where some of the negotiations with China have gone. And, um, you know, the bottom line is that there's an uh, understanding and relationship that has to happen and has to be built on both sides. But in the long run, uh, we fully believe that when a trade deal is done, uh, because uh, of, of the strong stance of the United States, I think necessarily had to take, it has to take with China, I think that the Nebraska producers in particular uh, will be better off and have um, more, more of a chance for a level playing field. That again was Nate Bloom. He's the executive director of the Nebraska Sorghum Board. Reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Scott Foster, he's uh, just rude and, and, and arrogant. Um, who, who he is, uh, it's pretty frustrating. You're listening to Midday with Check Scott Foster on here sports. on KRBN. Well, I don't need to talk over that. We're going to check in on sports coming up in just a little bit. Which... All right, time for us to check in on sports. Jason Jorgensen is in here. Always an anticipated uh, part of the year when uh, we start talking about fan day. That means the season's not too far away, and uh, so the Huskers announce when they're going to do that. Yeah, that's true. It's coming up on Thursday, August 1st, as you have a chance to meet your favorite Husker coaches and players at Football Fan Day. That annual event will take place from 5.30 to 7.30 at Memorial Stadium. Now, Fan Day is usually the best chance to meet and greet the players, coaches, and staff before the start of the season. All Nebraska players and assistant coaches will be on the Memorial Stadium field. They are going to do things a little bit differently this year with head coach Scott Frost, so you'll certainly want to read ahead of that. They'd like this to become more of an opportunity for kids to get autographs with Coach Frost rather than 
just adults. It makes a lot of sense because uh, it gets a little goofy uh, with people trying to sell <laughs> autographs. Yeah, it's goofy. So uh, once again, plan ahead on August 1st. Michigan's magical run in Omaha continued last night as Jimmy Kerr was the hero. He homered for the third time in the CWS as the Wolverines held off Vanderbilt 7-4 in Game 1 of the best of three finals. Head coach Eric Backage breaks down yet another big win in the Big O. We did have enough sparks and enough of big plays. But uh, just proud of our guys to, you know, that's a that's a really good opponent, a historic team that they've got over there, and you know, come out on top tonight and, and take game one was the the best way to start. The Wolverines are on the doorstep of winning the school's first baseball title since 1962. Ohio State is the last Big Ten school to take home the title, winning it in 1966. The last team to win it from the Midwest was the Wichita State Shockers back in 1989, but. It's not over yet. No, Vanderbilt it's still has a pulse. Vandy, <laughs> Vandy, like we said, one of the Blue Bloods. They've been here before. Yep, so uh, we'll see what happens tonight in Game 2. Husker football continued to rebuild the pipeline via the Sunflower State yesterday as the Big Red picked up a verbal commitment from Derby, Kansas offensive tackle Alex Kahn. The six foot six, 280-pounder chose the Huskers over finalist Oklahoma State, and he also held offers from the likes of TCU, Kansas, Iowa State, and others. He is a three-star recruit who first visited Lincoln for the red-white game. Husker volleyball team got off to a good start with its first match in China as they beat Shanghai Bright U Best in five sets. Shanghai finished in third place in the Chinese Super League last year. The Huskers are now 3-2 and two on their Asian trip. They were led by Capri Davis, who had 14 kills. The Lexington SWAT 15-and-under volleyball team finished in ninth place of the National AAU Tournament in Florida today. There were 153 teams in their division. The team was made up of players from the Lexington, Kearney, and Alma area. And the Nebraska Danger, they're still clicking. They'll take on Arizona for the intense conference championship in Glendale, Arizona. That game has been scheduled for Saturday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. And the Cubs say newly signed closer Craig Kimbrell could be activated later on this week. Set to pitch again for AAA Iowa. Uh, they hope this move works out. Three years, $43 million. We'll see if he still has anything left. It, nobody nobody has an approach to the beginning of the pitch quite like Craig Kimbrell. He's all bent over and looking goofy, but when he's good, he's pretty good. Feel sorry for his back in 20 years. Uh, I mean, Tim wow. Limsicum, here we <laughs> yeah. go. That's right. Uh, That's a check of sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at news. Here's Dave Schroeder. A murder trial has resumed without the presence of the defendant who slashed his neck in the courtroom. Judge Vicki Johnson noted 52-year-old Aubrey Trail's absence to jurors today, saying Trail chose not to attend. Trail yelled, Bailey is innocent. I curse you all yesterday before swiping something across his neck in a courtroom in Wilbur located 35 miles southwest of Lincoln. Deputies rushed to help as Trail lay bleeding. Trail's attorney, Joe Murray, says Trail needed stitches but was released from a hospital. Murray also says a potential mistrial was discussed, but that Nebraska law says the defendant's actions cannot cause a mistrial. Trail and 25-year-old Bailey Boswell are charged with first-degree murder in the killing and dismemberment of 24-year-old Sidney Loof. 
Boswell awaits trial. When a nonprofit group asked for donations to help Hutchinson Zoo recover from flood damage, it hoped to raise $10,000 in a month or two. Well, supporters passed that goal in five days. A Facebook fundraiser organized by friends of the Hutchinson Zoo started on June 18th and passed the $10,000 goal by Saturday. The zoo has been closed since May 21st because of flooding. The animals are safe in temporary housing, but playgrounds and five buildings were damaged. Zoo director Ryan Van Zandt says staff hasn't been able to estimate the cost of repairs because the water that forced the zoo to close is still standing in the buildings. A Facebook fundraiser continues to accept donations, and a new goal might be set when damages are calculated. Kansas will allow transgender people to change their birth certificate so that the documentation reflects their gender identities under a legal settlement ending a federal lawsuit. LGBTQ rights advocates said that Kansas now will have a policy on birth certificates in line with most other states' policies. U.S. District Judge Daniel Crabtree signed an order to make the agreement binding on the Kansas Health Department for transgender individuals sued last year. A new government report shows just how far behind the Kansas wheat harvest is from normal. The National Agricultural Statistics Service reported that just 5% of the Kansas winter wheat in Kansas has been cut. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Susan Littlefield in here next. She's going to talk to Beth Ford, the uh, Land O'Lakes CEO, about infrastructure and getting rural America going again. That's in 60. To keep rural America going, you need the flair of the big cities in the small towns. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Beth Ford is CEO of Lando Lakes. She and I talked about the need to keep that infrastructure going for rural America. Well, that's right. You know, there's, uh, I think there's a shortage of 40,000 doctors in rural communities. You know, the other, the other piece of it is rural poverty. I mean, counties in rural America index, I think, at a 78% um, of, of counties in rural America index as food insecure. I mean, it is, it is, Unbelievable that in many of these areas, rural economies are what is supportive of the farm economy, and yet they are food insecure because, as you say, either the grocery store closes down or there's simply not access or there's simply poverty in these areas, um, and they're economically challenged. And thus, you know, as you say, the, the grocery store closes down, the, um, the school has implications, there's no doctors, I mean, there are so many, so many issues right now that are um, challenging, and thus it's not surprising when people say, well, boy, we, we're getting young people that are, that are leaving these areas. Well, because there's no opportunity. There's no um, reinvestment. Yet we see a lot of young people who want to get into agriculture, who want to be back in their hometowns. We need to make them uh, the investments supportive of a vibrant rural economy and vibrant towns the way we we remember certainly that I remember as uh, as a young child so Beth what can be done what can the general person as they hear you talking about rural economy and and the effects what can they do or what needs to be done to get that motivation and that excitement back well first of all the reason I'm calling the uh, raising the alarm is it's been interesting every time I speak to these issues and I do this quite frequently in major cities in different convenings 
you know, we first need to build awareness outside of agriculture or rural economies talking to each other. Okay, so, you know, I say this to our members all the time. Boy, we're really smart talking to each other, but we need to make it, we need to, to show up in different places. We, for instance, went to South by Southwest. It's a convening in Austin where a number of thought leaders are there talking about a variety of topics. So the first, um, I think, uh, issue is we need to make this um, well-known. And every time I have done this, Everybody in the audience says, I just didn't know, and how can I help? I just didn't know, and how can I help? And so, first of all, building awareness, I think, is central. Secondly, a lot of the things that occur um, in the farm economy and the economy in general are policy-based decisions from either the state government, the local government, or the federal government. And unfortunately, of course, it's, it's reflective that Congress, the, the legislative bodies, reflect the fact that there's only one and a half percent of the population are left involved in agriculture, so they're unfamiliar with the challenges and what the real variables are, and that is reflected in our in our um, in our congressional representation as well. Um, and, and so, what we need to do is talk to folks who are not from farm economies and who aren't on the ag committee and who aren't on you know something tied to ag. We need to talk to people in cities and elsewhere to help them understand why our futures are connected and why they should be supportive of investment. And that would be my third point. You know, I can, we've, we've just, in this conversation, this short conversation already talked about, you know, healthcare, and we talked about schools, and we've talked about infrastructure, and we talked about all of these. My, my view is that from my perch and from our perch, we're not gonna be able to solve all of those. I could say, hey, our foundation is involved, or our locals are involved. But there are some things that we can take action in. And so versus just saying, I want to make everybody aware, which I think is foundational, we need to have a convening, we need to have a, a, a group of the willing who want to try to address these issues. As well, we need to focus in our, our, um, our attention on one particular area. And so I've said that has to be rural broadband. Technology investment in communities that would enable other infrastructure investments or other entrepreneurs um, to be uh, to be investing in these communities as well. It's so foundational for job creation. It's foundational for education, for an ability to access healthcare, telemedicine. So, what can we do? Yes, make people aware. Secondly, secondly, look on policy, and then third, specifically attack an area here from us. It's a broadband, and there are going to be multiple ways that either through our co-op structure, our local retailer, through partnerships with tech technology companies, that, that we're and consultants. I mean, I've talked to a number of people that we're going to try to address this first and foremost by looking at technology investments, in, including broadband access in these communities. As somebody who lives in a rural community on a farm, I know how important and vital broadband is. And well, that's right. You know, in suburbs and, and urban areas, 90 to 95 percent access day, on a daily basis by the, by the population for online activity. And you know what it is in rural communities? It's like 58 percent. And I don't think it's because people have less interest. I think it's because they have less access, less ability. I mean, I've been out on farms where they're using hotspots to try to work through their auto steer on their tractor. I mean, it, it, you know, they're, as I said in my, my piece, they're driving to the McDonald's uh, so they can get broadband access because that's where a line has been laid in their community so that the kids can finish their homework. Comments with Beth Ford, CEO of Lando Lakes. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
You're listening to Midday with Scott Foster here on KRVN. We're going to check in with financials next. Bob Brogan on his way. Time for us to take a look at the financial markets across the world and see what's going on right now in the overnight on the world markets. The Japanese in Nikkei index was down 91 points. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong down 323 points. The one bright spot, the FTSE in London, was up 5. The German DAX index down 45. Much of the same here in the United States. Socks down today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down some 85 points. The NASDAQ down 76 and the S&P down 16 at this time. We turn it over to Bob Brogan for more. Investors have been listening to remarks by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell before the Council on Foreign Relations in New York. Powell saying the economic outlook has become cloudier since early May with rising uncertainties over trade and global growth causing the central bank to reassess its next move on interest rates. Powell did not commit to a rate cut but says the Central Bank will closely monitor incoming data and be prepared to act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. And meanwhile, stocks are lower um, as uh, Powell takes questions at the New York City uh, at the uh, at the event that's taking place before the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City. Sales of new homes slumped 7.8% in May as sales plunged in the pricier northeast and western markets. The Commerce Department says new homes sold at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 626,000 in May, down from uh, 679,000 in April. Meanwhile, U.S. home price gains slowed for the 13th straight month in April, evidence that weaker demand is keeping prices in check even as mortgage rates fall. In other action, as we uh, as we have been watching SpaceX, uh, it has launched its largest, heftiest rocket with 24 research satellites. The middle of the night rideshare featured a deep space atomic clock, solar sail, clean rocket fuel test bed, and even human ashes, including an astronaut's. The Falcon Heavy blasted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. At 2.30 a.m. Eastern Time, it's the third flight of a Falcon Heavy, but the first ordered up by the military. Those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on. So basically right now, Bob, the the what the Fed is saying is that they don't like the economy so much, so they're not going to raise or they're not going to lower interest rates. And Trump is saying if you would lower interest rates, the economy would be better. Is that kind of the back and forth taking but place right now? Basically, that kind of uh, cuts to the center of the of the issue. Um, I think that uh, what what the Fed is saying is that they're amendable to uh, you know flexibility and uh, looking at both sides of the issue. And and if something needs to be done, it will be done. All right. Very good. Thank you, Bob. Hi, I'm Dewey Nelson, and January 21st is the new date for our South Pacific Wonders Tour with Colette Guided Touring. Explore the tropical splendor of the Great Barrier Reef on Australia's northeast coast. Visit the beauty of glacial fjords on New Zealand's South Island. Cruise Sydney Harbor and Milford Sound. Meet Australia's wildlife up close. Discover the wonders of Aboriginal culture. All this in the company of the top tour managers in the business. Colette makes travel easy and fulfilling. 
All the details, flights, meals, hotels, sightseeing, and local experiences are all taken care of. Your only job is to have the time of your life. Don't miss out on Colette's South Pacific Wonders Tour. To learn more, visit krvn.com or call 800-581-8942. Again, the number is 800-581-8942. It's why they travel. Colette. Oversight of gene-edited livestock on America's farms. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. That was the topic of discussion during the National Pork Producers Council's most recent call. One of the speakers, Andrew Bailey, MPPC's lead counsel for science and technology, says when it comes to regulations on gene editing in livestock, the U.S. is behind the curve. Unfortunately, despite all of the promise of this technology, the U.S. Uh, our current proposed uh, regulatory framework for this leaves us at a huge disadvantage to um, other countries uh, across the world. Um, the, as proposed, the Food and Drug Administration uh, in its draft guidance for industry number 187 is seeking to actually treat the animal's altered genome itself as a drug instead of the um, actual technology that alters the, the, the genome. Uh, on the theory that it is it meets the regulatory definition of intended to infect affect the structure or function of the body of the animal. Um, CVM states that it will do this regardless of the technology used to edit the genes and whether or not the genomic alterations are heritable. Um, under this guidance, CVM is proposing to consider each specific genomic alteration as a separate new animal drug requiring approval, and they would restrict any new animal drug approvals in food-producing animals uh, to the individual animals and their progeny. Um, the agency would require sponsors to seek a separate uh, approval for the same genomic alteration in each new lineage into which it is introduced. In the case of heritable genomic alterations, CVM would also consider all animals with the altered genome uh, from the same lineage to contain an animal drug, uh, including those that acquired the alteration through crossbreeding. Um, they would retain the authority over the initially treated animals as well as all their pro uh, progeny in perpetuity and forever. Uh, this approach creates, uh, as you might imagine, a host of problems related to on-farm and in-plant authorities, as well as enormous trade barriers. For example, under this interpretation, farms producing GE animals could meet the definition of drug manufacturing facilities. He points to examples from other countries' regulations and how they are advancing. No other country has approached regulation of GE technologies the same way as FDA is proposing. Among our competitive uh, competitors in the ag biotech arena, Argentina, Brazil, and Canada in particular have already adopted risk-based GE regulations that are far less onerous. In 2012, Argentina implemented the regulatory framework for ag biotech, uh, which has reduced approval times and bureaucracy related to the approval of such products. Under their framework, new products are evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis, and they apply uh, rigorous scientific and technical criteria. Um, they also updated their uh, regulations on animal biotech specifically in 2017 to include such new technologies as gene editing. They, in addition, passed laws to promote the development and production of biotech by granting tax incentives to qualifying research and production products. Brazil, for its part, passed a new law governing uh, gene editing in 2005, which established the National Technical Biosafety Commission. Um, in January 28, uh, the CTN Bio, as it's called, published Brazil's requirements for the evaluation of such new breeding technologies, which they regulate on a case-by-case -case basis, considering risk-level classification of the modified organism, information on the manipulated genes or genetic elements, and whether the product has already been approved in other countries. 
Moving quickly, in October of last year, uh, CT and Bio determined that the gene-edited hornless uh, cows are conventional animals and that these cows and their product can uh, enter the market. Um, in fact, a U.S. company that develops such cows can now begin per commercial production in Brazil, and the cows can be marketed as, in Brazil as being from conventional animals. Again, hearing from MPPC's lead counsel for science and technology, Andrew Bailey. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Let's review our grains trade today with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. It seems the soybean traders were a little bit nervous about this G20 meeting that's coming up on Friday. Yeah, that's going to be a big deal here. Probably trade at the end of last, uh, at the early part of next week. It sounds like they're not going to meet until Saturday, which Japanese time will put it Friday night in these part of the world. So Sunday night's trade will be uh, likely to be volatile. Um, that coming off the report on Friday, and I think the one thing we've learned, at least I have, in trying to tell people, to just don't chase the market after a report on in the after hours. That has not worked. I don't think I've had one good trade made over the last month in this bullish market where guys have bought. Um, you know, after a report or after a big move higher in the overnight. It just doesn't seem to want to follow through today. Obviously, backing off from the highs, down about six from those levels into the close. I think corn's kind of stuck here. You know, it's going to wait to see what the weather looks like. You've got two big um, two big areas. This is for beans, too. Two, three major problem areas, Missouri, uh, South Dakota, and then the eastern part of the Corn Belt in Ohio, Indiana, and, and, and eastern Illinois. So until those areas, you know, get get solved, I don't think corn or beans are going to break substantially. Now, what you really want to watch out for is heat, specifically dryness in the northern part of Iowa. That's really the, the, the garden spot, that all the way into where you guys are in, in Nebraska. Ratings are high, and uh, it looks like a high-pressure ridge is moving into the U.S. here, so uh, it's going to be dry, and it's going to be hot for the next week, week and a half. Um, there's higher chances of precipitation called for, but if we get into July here and it turns dry, that's where this next leg can happen. So, short term, I think we pause really through the end of the week. I expect the report on Friday to be bullish. Don't know if there's going to be much follow-through without the G20 support, but uh, we're going to get these Monday crop progress reports and then the, the WASI the following week that should support support corn. So any breaks I think are going to get bought and any rallies until we get some sort of uh, further deterioration in the crop are probably going to get sold. What's your sentiment on wheat futures and, and uh, what's uh, coming up here? I'm a little bit bearish on wheat. I, I've been trying to sell the KC here into the delivery, but uh, to no avail. It really hasn't gone much. It's stuck right around 460. Uh, I think once we get through the delivery, the market turns a little more bullish, just given where, where corn has been. Uh, I think we'll see September put some premium on and rally with the Russian crop story. But I would say producers for next year's wheat crop need to start looking at opportunities on that rally if it would come. New crop July is trading around, I think, 530, 540 for July KC of 20. Uh, I think that could go as high as 570 uh, to $6. I think that's where you want to be looking to, to lock that in for next year. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. And also you can check out things more at danielsagmarketing.com. Well, that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com, Twitter, and our app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.